Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Top Stories and another delve into the Bugle archives. I am Andy Zaltzman. In November 2008, the American economy was in crisis. But with President Bush on his long overdue way out, and President Obama not yet in, let's just say there wasn't exactly a lot of work going on in the White House. And here's the top story from Bugle issue 53, entitled Obama and his not-so-secret codename, with me and John Oliver. Top story this week, the economy. And uh, you know those images of polar bears standing on melting pieces of ice? Well, we are now those polar bears, (laughs) and those tiny pieces of ice used to be the economy. (laughs) He's had one week now of still not quite being president, and Barack Obama has still singularly failed to fix the global economy. (laughs) Worst not-quite-yet-president ever. Always destined to end in anti-climax, John. Always. He's done nothing. The expectation levels were too high. So instead, we're left with the current president, who is doing his level best at the moment to look like he gives a shit about anything anymore. (laughs) Uh, He really is trying. He he just can't help looking like he's about to say, sorry, but I'm going to chalk this up as a YP, not an MP. (laughs) Oh, what, mate? Your problem, not my problem. Oh, I see, right, Okay. He's at the end of his work day now, Andy. And if you're at work, say it's 5.45, you've got one eye on the clock. If the phone rings at work and you think it might be a big job, there is every chance you're just going to let that phone ring and play some more Minesweeper on your computer. (laughs) And that is what Bush is doing regarding the economy at the moment. I bet he is setting some top scores for Minesweeper (laughs) on the Oval Office computer. Unfortunately, Bush's copy of Minesweeper is actually a real uh, Minesweeper. (laughs) That was a problem. And that was not point. That they only found that out after six years. <laughs> yeah, Bush has uh, almost literally been phoning it in, John. And hearing him attempt to explain the complexities of global economics is a bit like watching a dolphin trying to climb a tree or a sausage trying to play basketball. It's just not going to work. 
and <laughs> ideally it shouldn't have been allowed to happen. <laughs> well, Bush admitted this week that the financial system does need reforming, but insisted that the credit crunch was not a failing of the free market system. He's still defending the free market, despite how naughty it has been. Essentially, he thinks the free market is still a good kid. It just fell in with a bad crowd, made some bad decisions. So instead of an apology, we got a lecture about the dangers of too much government intervention from the self-same man who had just championed the biggest bailout in US history. I've got intrigued, John, by the uh, meeting of the G20 uh, in Washington. Uh, now, the market's been going up and down like a well-meaning but forgetful priest trying to remember what he's supposed to be praying about. And so, it seems, to the number of countries in the G. Uh, it's been seven. Uh, we yeah. had the G8. Uh, it's been 14 at times. Now, all of a sudden, it's 20. And it seems that the market for countries in the G is no more stable than oil or anything else. And I think, really, it's time that the G192, or as they're more commonly known, the United Nations, clamp down and impose a regulation number of countries in any given G. I'd say 10. They're meeting in Washington over the weekend to discuss the financial crisis. I don't know if they're going to be discussing the crisis so much as hiding in a room with all the lights turned out to try and convince journalists that they're not there. <laughs> Shh! Everyone be quiet. They'll go in a minute. It's affecting the entire world. Uh, the Eurozone is now officially in recession, uh, as is Germany. Uh-oh. And, John, well, we all know what happens when Germany goes into recession, don't we? Yeah. Uh, they vote in the Nazis. Yeah. You would have thought if there was one thing the economic world should have learned from the 20th century, it is don't let Germany go into recession. They'll just start dressing oh. up in fishnet stockings and voting <laughs> in the Nazis. How many times does it have to happen? I'm not saying they're definitely going to do it again, Andy. I'm just saying let's keep a really close eye on them <laughs> this time. So, what news of the bailout bill here, Andy? That's, seven, that's the $700 billion that the taxpayers have left in a brown paper bag on a bench outside Congress, just like they told us to. Well, $290 million of that has already been committed to saving various banks, but that still leaves a fair chunk of change, and there is good news and bad news on that front. The good news is that Congress only approved the bailout on the condition that some independent oversight posts were set up to prevent corruption and government waste. That's a good idea. The bad news is that absolutely none of those posts have been filled yet, (laughs) and the first monitoring report has not been completed despite the deadline passing. But wait... It's not over yet. The even worse news that I didn't offer you at the start is that Eric Thorson, the Treasury Department's Inspector General, said, and I quote, It's a mess. I don't think anyone understands right now how we're going to do proper oversight of this thing. (laughs) Now, first of all, don't call it a thing. That is simply too vague and colloquial for a man in his position. This just goes to back up my suspicion that literally no one knows what is happening. (laughs) It's true, absolutely uh, no one knows. The G20, though, have pledged very kindly to tackle the meltdown. That was the uh, results of that summit. They've agreed to do something about it at some point in the future. And that's a bit reminiscent of when Captain Smith on the Titanic, John, uh, issued a press release pledging to do absolutely everything he could to resolve the iceberg and sinking crisis, but pleaded for patience from the public as repairs tended to take longer when both he and the ship were lying 2.5 miles underwater. The leading candidate for uh, the post of Special Inspector in the US is currently Neil Borofsky, a lawyer who used to work as a white-collar criminal defence attorney. That's right, defence. Not prosecution, (laughs) defence. 
The man who is likely to be a watchdog for corrupt businessmen is the very man who used to keep them out of jail. You're right, Louis Armstrong, it is a wonderful world. <laughs> I get it now. Trees are green, red roses too, and white-collar criminal defence attorneys becoming government-appointed oversight chiefs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Andy, when you struggle to understand what is going on regarding the economy, which I find is all the time, it can be helpful to gauge the scale of the problem by looking at the faces of the people involved. I will not soon forget Obama's face during his first press conference <laughs> after meeting with his top, top economic advisers. He was a shadow of the man who had been <laughs> on television 48 hours previously. He was stumbling over his words, visibly rattled, and he clearly just spent 45 minutes sitting in a room with his, some of the world's greatest financial minds telling him in the clearest possible terms how f- we are. <laughs> We're f- Obama. No, no, look at me. We're power f- <laughs> Is that a technical term? I don't know, but it should be. I think it applies here. So do you think he's regretting uh, applying for the president's job already, John? Well, the job kind of shifted during his long, long-winded application. The interview <laughs> process just took too long. Right, because, you know, it's, it can happen. I remember when I was a boy, John, on my eighth birthday, mm-hmm. uh, I had a dream, and I asked if I could run the local waste collection and disposal service for my local right. council. Yeah. And they said, sure, kid. Knock yourself out. So I went in for my rubbish briefing, and it turned out to be quite a lot more complicated and harder than I'd ever envisaged. And, you know, sure, I had to get it done, and uh, I got it done in the end, but people had to be patient. I can only really use my experience, inexperience as an excuse for the first couple of years. But these things are always tougher than you expect in advance, John. Just ask Moses, for example. You know, even with God promising us the land, it's still been a tricky business over the last 6,000 years or so. <laughs> Other news now, and, well, John, this is probably one of the most significant moments in British history. Prince Charles is 60 years old. Happy birthday, Prince Charles, uh, from the Bugle. Charles has uh, basically now been waiting 56 years to replace the Queen as King of Mm -hmm. Britain. And I think that must be the longest anyone has ever been on standby for anything. And uh, as the prince enters his seventh decade, he must have been struck by the ironic timing of a report that came out this week, uh, which showed that Britain... Uh, came a pitiful 81st in the world at paying men and women the same money for doing the same jobs and showed our nation continuing to slide embarrassingly down the Gender Equality League. And yet, John, the British throne has had female buttocks on it for 119 of the last 171 years. And what buttocks? (laughs) Not just any old buttocks. No. As as discussed on this programme before, Queen Victoria... Had 64 years of huge buttocks on their throne. <laughs> Probably increasingly large. In fact, they had to that, expand the throne in about 1884. That really would be an awkward moment for any employee of the palace. <laughs> hey, Vicky, uh, we were thinking about how to put this delicately. <laughs> Just adding a foot either side <laughs> of your huge ass on that throne. How's that? <laughs> Off with my what, you say? <laughs> It's quite embarrassing, though. 81st best in the world, John. From, this is from a country that has produced such feisty females as Roman slang, East Anglian temptress, Bodicea, nudist jockey Lady Godiva, and, of course, the Crimean four Florence Nightingale, uh, railings enthusiast Mrs. Panky Pankhurst, and not to mention the former world tennis number five, Joe Jury. <laughs> I know 81st sounds bad, Andy, but perhaps if someone had told us it was a competition, we might have taken the whole thing a bit more seriously. <laughs> Uh, apparently, this is partly down to our worsening performance in gender equality and partly due to the improving performances of countries like Latvia. Oh, well, 
If women like Latvia so much, Andy, why don't they just go and live there? <laughs> Britain scored only 28 out of 100 for women's political empowerment, compared with 53% scored by the best country in this category, Finland. Ooh. But the fact is, John, if you and I were women, we would probably have to pay to do the bugle. That's how bad if it is. Or, if or when. <laughs> Of course, um, many traditionalists explain away gender equality by saying that women live longer than men, so on a per year's life expectancy, we are actually paid the same, roughly. (laughs) Also, that men need more money because they drink more and go to more football matches. And also, women are used to the elemental agonies of childbirth, so what's a few quid less on a paycheck? They're all strong arguments, (laughs) Andy. I don't don't really see that we have a problem here. In fact, this seems like a non-story to me. (laughs) There you go. That was issue 53 of The Bugle from November 2008. And if you've enjoyed The Bugle in the intervening almost 15 years since then, please help the show stay free, flourishing and independent by joining the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme. To give a one-off or a current contribution, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.